Good morning. Good morning, and welcome to worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. Uh, for those of you joining us weekly or for the first time in person or online, uh, on behalf of all of us, my name is Matthew. I'm the senior pastor here. Welcome. So glad that you could be with us today as we worship. When we do so, uh, we use a printed bulletin, and the things that we're going to sing and say together will be up on the screens as well, or the picture within picture on your screen at home, just so we all know how to follow along as we're worshiping together. Uh, and as we're getting started, uh, there's a bunch of announcements in your bulletin, which I want to point you to, to find out more about what's going on in the life of our church. There's two in particular I want to highlight for us. The first is that Sadie in the church office is looking for graduate information. Uh, it says the season for life transitions, and so if you know of someone who is graduating from high school or college making a transition, please send that information on to Sadie so we can be sure to remember them and mark this important time in their lives. The other thing is that as we're going through this church calendar year, uh, seasons celebrating important events in the life of Jesus starts at Christmas. Right, it keeps going all the way through Easter, and then there's one little holiday in there, one celebration. It's kind of a wallflower. We don't think about it much, called Ascension Day. Right, and Ascension Day happens on May 26th on Thursday. It's it's a chance when the church commemorates Jesus leaving Earth and ascending to reign over the whole world, which He is doing even now. And so we're going to mark that together with Fairlawn on May 26th at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. I know it said 7. It's actually 6. They had a conflict, uh, so we had to move it around. 6 p.m., May 26, Ascension Day on May 26. That's 6 p.m. Got it? May 26, 6 p.m. Okay, so we'll, we'll see you there. Thank you for joining us for that. But today we have come here, and we are continuing to look at resurrection stories in the Gospel of John. And as we've gone, we see that uh, when Jesus shows up into the lives of his disciples, it answers some of their questions. It allays some of their fears, but it also raises other questions. And that's good news for us because when we come to church or tune in online, we also come with doubts. We come with our questions, some answered, some that we've carried with us for a long time. We come exhausted. We come worried about things. And so that being true for us, when we gather in this room, it's good to remember that when Jesus showed up in the midst of his disciples after his resurrection, the first thing that he did is he breathed. And he did that to show us something important about life with God. Sometimes it's not flashy or big or exciting. Sometimes the thing that we need most is as close to us as the air that we are taking into our lungs, which is in fact his own presence. And so my friends, wherever you are today, in joy, sorrow, excitement, or weariness, breathe. For God is in this place. Would you pray with me? Dear God, we ask that you would silence all voices within our minds but your own. Help us to seek and be able to follow your will. May our prayers be joined with those of our sisters and brothers in the faith, that together we may glorify your name and enjoy your fellowship forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you rise in body or in spirit? Let's worship. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Psalm 100 says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. 
Know that the Lord is God, it is He who made us. And we, we are, are His. We are His people, His sheep of His pasture. Enter the gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name, for the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues.
Bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting, God so loved the world.
You offer the freedom in your Holy Spirit where we are prisoners of ourselves. Open our eyes so that we may witness your awesome deeds. In the name of Jesus, the risen. Take a moment in silent confession. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that in Christ we are forgiven. Know that in Jesus, God embraces you, forgives you, and strengthens you to live a renewed life. Thanks be to God. Let's continue singing.
The peace of Christ is with you. And also with you. Take a moment to spread the peace with your neighbor. Can I have all the kids in Kid Street come up here? People of God, what is our prayer? to love and serve Jesus. It's excitement. Uh, good morning. My name is Dawn LaFrancis, and I am one of the elders here at Pleasant Street, and it is my privilege to lead us in prayer this morning. So would you please join me? Gracious God and loving Father, we come before you this morning from many places. Some of us come out of a sense of duty. Some of us come because it's tradition. Some of us come out of a sense of longing, looking for something we don't seem to be able to find anywhere else. Holy Spirit, we ask that now, in the places where we are gathered, whether in this room or in our homes, you would quiet our hearts and minds from all distractions, cares, and worries. Fill us with your peace and remind us that you are here with us now. Risen Savior, thank you that you call each of us by name, just as you called Mary's name in the garden. Thank you for your promise that you daily walk with us, just as you walked with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Thank you for your patience with us when we, like Thomas, struggle to believe, and accept your sacrifice for our sake. Heavenly Father, God, you're so good. You're so good to me. We praise you for your love for us. We praise you for your care over us. Creator God, we praise you for the beauty of springtime, for flowers and trees that are exploding with life and color and scents. We praise you for the gift of new life, and for restored health for so many in our community and in our families. We ask, great physician, that you would bring healing to those struggling with chronic illness and pain. For Audrey, Hank, 
Bev, and Carol L. We ask that you would guide the work of doctors, researchers, and care providers as they find treatments and perform surgeries and procedures for Deb and Duane VA, for Karen, and for Minnie. El Shama, the God who hears, we lift up to you today the pain and plight of millions of people around the world. For those in war-torn Ukraine who have lost homes, jobs, family members, and entire cities. For those in Russia and the Russian soldiers who are being led by a government that seeks to do evil. For those facing famine and starvation in Africa. For the victims of recent violence in Buffalo, Milwaukee, and in so many cities around our nation. And for those who harbor anger, hatred, and devalue life, which causes them to harm others for those around the world facing persecution for their faith. Lord, you have promised that you know each person by name and you hear each cry. Have mercy, we pray. Help us to remember that even in the midst of all that seems dark, your light will shine through. Father, we give you thanks today for our Pleasant Street family. For each member here, whether here traveling, or worshiping from home today. We thank you for Pastor Matthew, for our staff, for those who care for and minister to our children and youth. Thank you for our praise and worship team, for those who lead us in liturgy, song, and those with gifts in technology who make it possible for us to worship together even when we are apart. Lord, you are the giver of all that is good, and I pray that you would help us to live lives that reflect our gratitude to you. Bless us now as we continue in our worship. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and give us ears to hear. We pray all of these things with confidence, knowing that you not only hear us, but that you will work all things for our good and for your glory. In the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. This morning, I have the privilege of reading John 21, 1 through 14. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, good morning. As we continue our study in the Gospel of John, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning, as we look around, it seems that things are stuffy and the walls appear thick. And there is not nearly enough light. And of course, we are talking about our hearts. And so we ask, O oh God, that you would come in the power of your Spirit and step behind walls that have seemed impenetrable. That you would come gently into the places where there is a room full of fear. That you would find us in our weariness and our hunger after the long night. And invite us to breakfast. Amen. Why is it that when you pass a fisherman on the lake or out on a pier, we have this instinctual need to ask them if they've caught anything? It must be terribly annoying to fishermen, and if any of you are fishermen, perhaps that's happened to you. I mean, you've been up early, and it's on, you're on the water, and you're fishing, line in, line out, over and over again. Sometimes you have nothing to show for it. And when you haven't caught anything after losing a precious night of sleep, being asked, did you catch anything, well, it just adds insult to empty bucket. Jesus asks this question of his disciples early this morning. And they weren't just up early, they were out all night. But in Greek, it's even clearer that Jesus is highlighting the nothingness. Jesus asks a question in Greek in a way that you would only ask if you already knew that the answer was no. So he says, friends, haven't you any fish? No. No. It's all they say. It's about a cur as curt an answer as you could give to someone. No. Zero fish. Nothing except sore muscles and sleep deprivation. In fact, it seems that they worked so hard and so fruitlessly all night that Peter has taken off most of his clothes. And this is how John sets the scene for the very last story in the gospel. Friends, the story that began back at Christmas time with Jesus in the beginning, who was God and was with God, in the beginning the Word became flesh, and all that beautiful poetry, well, it ends here with a night of fruitless fishing in Galilee. 
And the story comes all the way back to where it began. And the disciples strike out. Talk about an anti-climax. Frankly, the last few weeks, stories seem much better a place to end a gospel. When Jesus resurrected from death, he appears to Mary and then to the disciples. He turns their mourning into dancing and their doubts into worship. Jesus is alive and he proves it to them. And the room itself swells with joy and wonder even as their hearts begin to do the same. And then when it seems that things could not possibly get any better, Jesus breathes his Holy Spirit upon them and he commissions them with this great new purpose for their lives. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And it goes by real quick, so I don't want us to miss it. But Jesus, in fact, right there, sent his disciples out with the same power of the Holy Spirit by which he himself prayed and walked and healed and blessed and suffered and died. Full of the same stuff that Jesus had within him, the disciples are now sent with a commission of crackling good news. As you have been forgiven of all your sins, go tell everyone that their sins are forgiven too. Right? And this theme of sentness is a theme about Jesus that's huge for John. It comes up all over the gospel. I really like uh, Frederick Dale Bruner, he's a commentator, the way that he paraphrased this. God so loved the world that he sent the Christians out into the world so that every single individual who is simply trusting them and the one they represent will not be destroyed but have deep, lasting life. Isn't that beautiful? The disciples are sent into the world with news that can change hearts and transform lives. They're sent with the power of God's own spirit living inside of them. Resurrection power lives inside of them. Okay, we get it. They're sent. They have the Holy Spirit. We got it. But John has one more story to tell. Well, we know what it should be. A, su a success story. Right? Proof that Jesus' powerful commission took root in them. And this love that is stronger than death, this never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love that we talk about each week, that that love, that good news, that that is in fact going out to conquer the world, that it works. A story of well-organized disciples killing it. Well, you can imagine how we'd tell that story, right? The final scene fades in from black. Peter stands triumphant around a group of eager listeners. Thomas and the Zebedee boys, they're distributing food to hundreds of, at a shelter while everyone praises God and trusts in his name. A montage while, while earnest disciples feed the hungry, hungry and they clothe the naked and they heal the sick and they teach the aimless to give their lives to Jesus. And all of it is set to inspiring folksy music, right? It's not hard to imagine the story ending like this and the disciples succeeding and finding favor in everything because, well, because sometimes that's how we assume it's going to go for us. The resurrection means victory. 
we assume that victory means success. But this is not how John ends the story. Chapter 21 begins, and it's Monday morning, and the disciples are having trouble getting into the week. Commissioned, they're sent out to the world, but really they just go back to Galilee and go fishing. They go back to their day jobs, or in this case, night jobs, and they fail. All night, they cast out the lead-weighted nets. All night, they heave the heavy waterlogged weight back over the side again, and then they straighten it out, and then they throw it back out again, and they drag it back in again. Nothing. All night, they straighten out the tangled lines by moonlight. All night, they catch nothing. Nothing. The word, it dangles out there like futility itself. They catch nothing. It's the word that Jesus used in John chapter 15. Do you remember that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus loves double entendre, especially in John. Jesus uses physical things to talk about spiritual things. It doesn't mean that the earthly stuff doesn't matter. It just means that often Jesus is talking on two levels at the same time. And so this is a story about fishing. But it is also a story about sharing the gospel. Do you remember when Jesus came to the disciples years before and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, people catchers? Jesus didn't mean that they would never actually go fishing again. He means that now they are fishermen who do two things. They fish to the glory of God, and they also proclaim the glory of God with their work and with actual words. They fish, and they also cast the net of the good news about Jesus, you could say. This is the new life purpose they have, to do both. But with their commission hot off the press, they fail. They catch nothing and nobody. John has one more story to tell, and it's a story of resurrection power. And after the resurrection, the disciples fail. Disciples have a hard job. Disciples are commissioned with crackling good news and fresh breath from the Holy Spirit on Sunday. And then they, we, are sent into Monday morning. We are sent to tasks like opening inboxes and chairing meetings. Disciples are sent to pick up the garbage and code a line, to change diapers and to make breakfast, to wire a room and ring up a customer. They are sent, we are sent to teach students and to learn under teachers. We are sent to Work as unto the Lord and also to talk about Jesus. The same Holy Spirit inspires both the working to the glory of God and the telling others about Jesus. And from time to time, we strike out at either or both. We lose it with the kids. 
we make a mistake in the code and there's a big giant log jam pile up traffic situation. The proposal gets rejected. The offer gets rejected. We get it wrong on a test. Nothing seems to come of the work. And sometimes we flub an opportunity to give a reason for the hope that lives within us. We don't know the follow-up question to ask when someone tells us innocently that they kind of miss church in their life. We blank on the Bible verse that we love most. Nothing comes of it. Now, we've tried various ways to mitigate this because, well, we don't like failure. We began to lean on leaders in the hopes that they could do it for us. We began to create strategies and frameworks and programs and programs. We painted the buildings. We dressed up the worship bands. We did all of this in the hopes that it would make us more catching. But in fact, maybe so that they could do the catching for us. American Christians have developed some wonderful and sophisticated tools for church growth and to share the gospel. And we have done this because we believe that with the right program, the right strategy, the right leader, we will find success again. Because the truth is, it worked this way in the past. Ed Stetzer, who is the executive director of the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism at Wheaton College, he was talking about this a couple of years ago at a conference, and he was talking about all the many different tools that American Christians have created for evangelism and church growth, and he pointed out, after naming all of these things like evangelism and explosion, the four spiritual laws and all these things, he went on to say that, you know, if the 1950s ever come back, we are ready The problem, of course, is that tools become rules, and then you don't know what to do. And we can look back, for many of us it's living memory, and we remember when the churches were full. And we remember when evangelism explosion and Willow Creek and all these strategies worked. But as any investor worth her salt will tell you, past performance, what? Does not guarantee future returns. And weirdly enough, it is our success in the past that makes us so afraid of failure in the future. And while these strategies might have worked for a time, they also had the unintended consequence of making fishing very complicated. And so that when a coworker simply asked us what we did this weekend, we were so worried about saying the right thing or how to invite them to church, it was like our feet got tangled in our own nets and we got tongue-tied and we fell down. We didn't know how to say, I went to church, would you like to come with me sometime? Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, no, it's been a while. You know, in spite 
of all of the disciples' experience with fishing, in spite of their earnestness and hard work, they catch nothing. And my friends, failure is a wonderful backdrop for a miracle. Jesus shows up on the beach and it's early morning and the sun is just coming up and the tired, water-logged, worn-out disciples are out there about 100 yards in the boat and Jesus says, try one more time, throw your nuts to starboard and you will find some. They don't know that it is Jesus, but they listen. Even though it's crazy and they're tired and I'm sure that they have fished that exact spot already. Have you ever seen professional fishermen take advice from a stranger on the land? Well, these ones do. As though, even though they don't recognize the person, they know the voice. And they follow. And they catch so many fish that they cannot even haul it into the boat. Fish of all kinds are in the net, John tells us. There is an abundance of them. This is a fish story and perhaps the only one that's never been exaggerated. The net is full, Jesus says. John says, miraculously full and not just of one kind of fish, but of all kinds, of all different kinds of fish. And the net doesn't tear. And yet this is also a story about spiritual reality. It's a glimpse of something that Ezekiel saw a long, long time in the past when he prophesied in Ezekiel 47 about a trickle of a stream that became a river that went into the ocean. And he said this stream, it began under the temple and it begins to flow outward. And the stream becomes a creek and then a river and then it flows into a salt sea. And the river makes the salt water teem with life. And there, Ezekiel said, fishermen will gather fish from all the kinds of fish in the world into their nets. And the disciples here have all kinds of fish gathered into the same net. And with a single sentence from Jesus, their failure has turned into super diverse, super abundance. Not only do they have abundance, they have breakfast with Jesus. Peter throws on a shirt and he jumps in the water, leaving everyone else to do the work to row to shore. They arrive and the fish and bread are already cooking over a coal fire. Everything is ready. And even though they still can't quite believe that it's really Jesus, even though part of them wants to ask if any of this is actually happening because it seems like a dream, somehow they know, they know it is the Lord. Often Jesus comes at things sideways, doesn't he? John is showing us that even those who are the most familiar with the cultural waters that people swim in, who know all the spots where fish might hang out, even those who know how to wield the gospel net with deafness, even they strike out if Jesus is not there directing the effort. But if Jesus is there, if his voice is directing our skills and our efforts and our experiences, well, God's word never returns empty. And that is the real miracle. It is not about the net that has 153 fish in it. It is not about the fact that with 153 fish in it, the net does not tear. It's about the voice of the one who knew exactly where to look. 
It is the power and presence of the Lord that fills the net and that keeps it from breaking when it's full. Oh, my friends, you don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know steps or methods or spiritual laws. You don't have to know all of the epochs of church history. You don't have to know all your systematic theology, though in Jesus' hands, those can be tools and skills that he will use. But what we do need, what we all need, what is given to every single Christian is to know and recognize the voice of Jesus and to know yourself what it is to be caught in the net of his good news. Because it is his gospel that is catching. It is his gospel net that catches us. And whether it was the sudden jerk of a hook or the long, slow dragnet that brought you in, somehow his voice is the reason that you got here. After Billy Graham died, Ed Stetzer was asked to come and speak at his funeral as the executive director of the center that bore his name. It only made sense. So Ed and his wife packed a bag, and they headed for Florida. In order to get to the airport from their home in Chicago, they decided to call an Uber. Jane was their Uber driver. They stepped in her car, and it was clear right from the start that something was different. Jane introduced herself. She had a basket of water bottles and snacks on the armrest between the two front seats. She directed their attention to them. She said, please take one if you're hungry or thirsty. They're for you. It's free. She had music playing softly in the background, and Jane began to ask them questions. Where were they from? She seemed genuinely interested. Was this a business trip or, or pleasure? Have they lived in their community for a long time? What was their neighborhood like? What did they do for work? And in all of this, it seems that she is really listening. And Ed decides to keep quiet because he knows what's going on. He could tell that Jane was a Christian and that these questions were her honest attempts to lure out, to draw out some real conversation on this trip to the airport so that they could share life and maybe even the gospel. Ed did not want to tell Jane that he was a professor of evangelism at a Christian college, so he let it play. And he gave vague non-answers as long as he could, or rather until his wife elbowed him in the ribs and said, tell her who you are. Stutzer blurted out that he was a professor of evangelism and he told Jane that she was doing a wonderful job. And she was excited and they had a lovely conversation. You could say that Jane caught a big fish that day. When Stetzer arrived in Florida, everyone was there to remember and give thanks for the tremendous impact that Billy Graham had, an impact shared by certainly some of us. Story after story tumbled out and came to light about his words and his books and his preaching, about the immense effect on millions of people that he could have himself. Stetzer was interviewed by a reporter from the New York Times, and the reporter asked the question that was hanging in the air and was on everyone's mind that day. Dr. Stetzer, who would you say is the next world-changing Billy Graham? Stetzer replied, without missing a beat, Jane the Uber driver. 
And it occurs to me that the best part of that story is that Jane has the same qualifications as you and me. Why any of us could be Jane, or rather she could be any of us, because in the power of the same Spirit, we could say, Karen, the stay-at-home mom, Frank, the electrician, Jim, the superintendent, Nick, the nurse, Suzanne, the retail clerk, Patty and John, the grandparents, Stacy, the eighth grader. For a disciple is not someone who never fails or always succeeds. A disciple, a fisher of people, is not a person with a PhD, but someone who knows the voice of Jesus, who calls us to cast our nets, and who always knows where to fish. And that voice is not a hundred yards away when we are at the office or at home or with a neighbor or in a meeting. That voice is living right here. That voice is right here prompting the simplest questions and opening our ears to genuinely listen for the answers. Ask her what she's doing this weekend. And then listen. Tell the kids that you're sorry and ask them to forgive you. Frank doesn't seem like himself today. You should ask him how he's doing. Tell them how I helped you when you were scared or when you were confused or lost or so weary. That voice prompts us when it sends us out and that is the same voice that has drawn us in this morning. Friends, to those who are waterlogged and worn out, to those of you who are full of God's abundance or desperate for bread, Jesus gathers us all into his net so that we can hear his voice, that voice, that storm-calming, fish-gathering, spirit-breathing, forgiveness-offering voice says to each one of us, to each and every one of us, to each of you this morning, Come and have breakfast. Come. Everything is ready. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Fishing all night, O Lord, without anything to show for it is not what we want. 153 fish in a single net seems like a lot. And in our lives, we could recount the times when it was dark and life seemed fruitless. And we could tell you the exact and specific details of our most beautiful successes. But in our lives, show us, O oh God, that it is neither the failure nor the success that is the measure of our discipleship. Soften our ears to hear again 
your call to come and be with you and to follow you wherever you lead. For we trust that by your Spirit, you have gone ahead of us and you are with us even now. Amen. Friends, as all of us are trying to grasp and make sense of the work that God is doing in our lives and what he speaks to us in Scripture, we have a couple different ways that we can do that. So for our third through fifth grade students, our Echo Age students, you're invited to come up now and with some of our church leaders, you're going to have a chance to reflect on some of the things that you're learning and experiencing in church. And I'd invite all of you after church today, about 15 minutes after the service, to join us for a sermon discussion where the rest of us are pondering and wondering about what these stories mean for our lives. And it seems like perhaps everyone is away today. So instead of sending them, let's pray for our third through fifth graders. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful that by your word and spirit, you're present in our lives from the beginning and all the way through to the end. In particular, we think about our third through fifth grade students right now, and we ask that wherever they are today, that you would come by your spirit, and that you would soften their hearts and open their eyes to hear your voice and see where you are moving, and that even now you would be training them in the ways of discipleship and following and obedience to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. We also have a chance to respond together, not just with our voices and song and words, but also by an act of trust for our offering. And our offering this morning is for the work of our congregation, and we have a couple ways that you can give, either by dropping off checks at the front on your way in, during the week in the mailbox, or by donating online. There's a QR code on your bulletin for your convenience if you would like to use that for online giving. Having done that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, out of the abundance and the lavishness of your riches, you give to us. Help us to practice uh, responding in kind by giving back some of the things that you have given to us. Open our eyes to the full breadth and spectrum of the gifts that we have. And please use our money and our time and our offerings and our talents to build up your church and to help others to know the good news of Jesus. In your name, amen. Give us pure hearts, let us not live.
would you join me in saying together our common faith in the Apostles' Creed? Together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to heaven. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
gathered into this place together by that sometimes very subtle voice of God, the Lord sends us out with his face turned toward you and a smile upon you, and he will not change his mind. So friends, would you open your hands, lift up your eyes and receive it. Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Let's go singing. Come set your rule and reign in on our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come and set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. Go now in peace to love and serve Jesus Christ.